It says, therefore, I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of, of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, nor yet as lording over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive an unfading crown of glory. You young men, likewise, be subject to your elders, and all of you clothe yourself with humility toward one another, for God is opposed to the proud and gives grace to the humble. Let's pray. This morning, Lord, as we come to your word, we we thank you, Lord, that uh, you have given us the word of God so we can be thoroughly instructed. Lord, even in areas that we don't normally think about, or maybe we don't even think is important. But Lord, it is in your word, and everything in your word that comes from you is important for us to know. And even part of that is how you set up the church and how you give structure to the church. So, Lord, we know how to organize it and we know what to look for. And so this morning, Lord, as we come to this passage, that you would give us instruction today to your church for what responsible shepherding is, that we would be aware of that and that we would know what to do if there's a problem. And I pray this morning that you would teach us and instruct us in this way, in Christ's name, amen. Now, as we look at this passage of Scripture this morning, uh, you may not know this, but when I came to Calvary Baptist Church, which is now Calvary Community Church, some 33 years ago, actually August 25th, this coming week will be 33 full years that I have been here. When I came here, the small, very, very small group of people that we had, uh, maybe about 16 people, maybe about seven of those were saved and uh, really saved. And then uh, they had the mindset that they had the one pastor mindset, that all the attention, all the demands of ministry, all the authority was given to that one pastor pastor, and also the deacons uh, had most of the, whatever few deacons we had then, had most of the say in the church. In July of 1987, after being here for two years, because I came in August 1985, I began to preach on the biblical form of church government. Biblical eldership, in other words. I endeavored to move away from an unbiblical form of a single elder having sole responsibility for everything and move to a biblical form of plural eldership and, of course, plural deaconship uh, and shared eldership. So from time to time, It is good to bring to the attention of the congregation what the Bible says about what type of church government is designed and given in the Word of God, because a lot of people have all kinds of views on that. 
So the passage this Lord's Day is focused on church order and government, as well as submission and devotion. A special exhortation is given to the elders. If you look um, at verse number one, it says this, Therefore I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. So in other words, one reason for the Apostle Peter's attention of elders at this particular point in the book is because in trouble, times of trouble, in times of trial, in times of persecution, God's flock must have faithful, biblically sound, and, and spiritual leadership. Also, if all Christians are to be prepared to partake in Christ's sufferings and glory, how much more must the shepherds of God's flock understand suffering because they are also in the crosshairs of Satan. Satan wants to bring down the leaders. Uh, he, wants to, he wants to disrupt the church. He wants to scatter the sheep. That's what his, his, his uh, modus operandi is, is to do that. So one, uh, that's the reason why it's, it's given here in Scripture, especially during times of persecution, faithful pastoral oversight is vital to congregational unity, to doctrinal clarity, and, of course, to sticking power, not only from, with the elders, but with the sheep. So then, Scripture gives elders instructions and encouragement to continue to do their work faithfully and responsibly. Now, if you read through the Bible, you're, you're going to find there's several words the Bible uses when it comes to... Uh, Elders, there's different Greek words used, uh, and they kind of sound familiar to us. Uh, the first word is, is elder itself. It comes from the Greek word presbyteros, which we, we get the word presbyterian from. Uh, the word emphasizes who the man is in his character, in the character of his heart, in the character of his life. See, elder also includes someone who is older, from the Old Testament, and someone who has some spiritual maturity and, of course, full of the Word of God and the Spirit of God. And then there's another word used, and it's the word, the old King James used the word bishop. We don't use that very much anymore, but it's the word overseer. And that's the word uh, episkopos, which we get the word episcopalian from, and many some denominations are called that. Uh, epi means over and okapos means scopes or guardian. In other words, one who guards over other people. The emphasis with that word is the function of the elder. And then there's the word uh, pastor or shepherd, uh, the Greek word poimen, and that word means uh, has to do with his attitude. In other words, how he feels toward his sheep who has been entrusted to him. A shepherd is one who, who really takes care of the community of believers, including guiding and caring and looking after with an emphasis on the governing or the administrative aspects of their rule. And so bringing that all together, 
we see that the overseer is a translation of the Greek word for bishop or episkopos, which is used interchangeably with elder, presbyteros, all right? The office of overseer then is the same is the same thing as the office of elder. Bishop and elder, therefore, are not, therefore, separate rungs on a hierarchy of church government. They are, they are rather the, the same office. They are actually the same person. Their function is to shepherd. All right? That all comes together in a passage of Scripture in the book of Acts, And I want you to notice in this passage on the screen that it is a passage that includes all three words where it says, from Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus and called to him the elders of the church, plural. And when they had come to him, he said to them, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. That's the other word. All right, and then of course to what? To shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. So all those three words come together, but they are actually speaking of the same person. All right, and that would be the elder of a flock of believers. And so Peter exhorts fellow elders in our passage here in First Peter by his apostolic authority to take up the role of shepherding people seriously, where he says there, therefore I exhort elders among you. So the elders that were appointed among any congregation or any group of believers, the elders are now to rule over them and to shepherd them and to provide their needs. So Peter, the apostle Peter is actually saying to them, uh, those who he's writing to in this epistle, Listen, I have provided oversight for the whole church as an apostle. You are an extension. All elders are an extension of my ministry. And you are now charged to provide oversight to whatever flock of believers you are among. No matter small or large, it doesn't matter. The size does not matter. So he is saying, here's my experience where he says, I am a fellow elder. He calls himself a fellow elder of the flock. And so he concludes that an elder has oversight and gives oversight to Christ's flock. Also in our passage, the elder testifies to the sufferings of Christ, which includes his message and his mission. Now that would always include Jesus' holy life, his crucifixion, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension into heaven, his intercession right now in heaven for the saints and for the church, and then, of course, his second coming. He's coming back again. And that's why he says at the end of verse number one, he's a partaker of the glory that, and it says a part of that which will be revealed. In other words, the coming of Christ. So he's saying that elders participate in the glory of Christ that will be future, that is coming. So there's three bits of instruction for the church on responsible shepherding. And here's the first one. And that's, we find that in the 
text that um, it says in verse number two, it says, shepherd God's flock, the flock of God among you, ex, uh, overse- overseeing, ex, overseeing um, oversight or exercising oversight. And so that's what he is telling them in pastoral leadership, that the shepherd is to do something. He has actually four primary responsibilities, and the first one is to graze the sheep. In other words, that means the elder has a feeding function of the sheep. Elders feed the flock with what? With the Word of God, with the Bible, right? With the truth. That's what their job is. And so this the man, uh, really, whereas the scripture says, man does not live by bread alone, but by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. And, and here's a passage of scripture from Deuteronomy, where it says, woe, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding themselves. And here's the question, should not the shepherds feed the flock? Of course, the rebuke back then was that the shepherds stopped teaching the law. And so when the, when the people are not getting a regular uh, feeding from the word of God, they tend to go astray. They tend to wander. They tend not to do what God wants them to do. So in the, an elder's function as a teacher in the assembly, instructing the flock is something that is vital uh, in Scripture, where it says in this passage, it says an overseer, then must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, and of course, able to teach. Now, this would be the difference between a deacon and an elder. Uh, A deacon doesn't have to be apt to teach, uh, even though they may teach, but an elder must have the qualification where they are responsible for teaching the Word of God. So all elders are to have an aptitude to teach the Word of God. Some are given over to this responsibility full-time, and some are not. But all elders should be able to teach. He needs to, in other words, continue to grow in his God-given ability to teach the group of believers that is among him. Now, there's kind of three minimum requirements when it comes to that, and it would be something like this. Number one, he must grasp, have a grasp on the basic content and doctrine of the Bible, right? He has to be someone who knows the Bible, not, not in its entirety, but he has to know the Bible so he can hold fast to the truth, so he can give the truth out to the people. Now, this passage of Scripture, notice what it says in Titus 1.9. It says, holding fast the faithful word, which is in accordance with the teaching, so that he will be able to exhort in sound doctrine and refute those who contradict. So how do we know the difference between what is true and false? Well, we know it by knowing the Bible, right? We can actually detect when somebody is not teaching what is true. All right. Another thing that comes along with that is that... Uh, some, a second minimum requirement is that he must have a proven ability to clearly communicate the word of God. In other words, it says in 2 Timothy, these things which I have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others 
also, and then it goes on to say in verse 15, being diligent to present yourself approved to God, a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of God. See, the problem today is that there are a lot of people that are, quote unquote, preaching or teaching that are not accurately handling the word of God. All right, and, uh, and the reason why we go through books of the Bible from verse 1 of a chapter to the last chapter is because there's many things in Scripture that we all need to know as God's children, and the only way to do that is to go verse by verse, book by book, so we can get a good grasp of the content of Scripture. And then a third minimum requirement is they must have a love for the truth. They must love the truth, and of course the people... Uh, in whom they communicate the truth, they must have that going on with them. So that's the first thing. The first responsibility is that an elder must be able to uh, graze the sheep uh, and teach them the word of God. The second responsibility is that to guide the sheep. Uh, The leading function of elders. Elders lead the flock to rest, and of course, one of a probably a, the great passage of scripture that teaches of uh, us of the great shepherd is right in Psalm twenty-three, that that famous passage of scripture where it says, "The Lord is my shepherd; I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures." And then here it is: He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the path of righteousness. For his namesake. So any shepherd, whether it be Old Testament or New Testament, really has the same responsibility. Not only to teach, but also to lead. Right? To lead the sheep besides quiet waters. To learn to bring the sheep to the place where they're learning the truth. And the truth is actually calming them down. Giving them discernment on to, to live into the, in this confusing world we live in. Uh, we, I mean, everybody's getting knocked from pillar to post when it comes to information in this world, right? But how do you know that information's accurate? You know, you should live like this. You should do this. You should go here. I mean, we get bombarded with that all the time. But for a believer, a believer ought to know the Word of God to know what they ought to actually be and do. And so the elders have that function of as they teach the Word of God, they continue it in that process of guiding and leading the sheep. And the reason why is because sheep are prone to wander, right? They're prone to do their own thing. They're prone to get into trouble. Matter of fact, they're so prone to do their own thing that they don't even recognize they're walking at the edge of a cliff. And if the shepherd don't pull them back with his, his uh, shepherd's staff, which has a crook on it, and gets them behind, by the neck and pull them back, they will fall over. So, so that's what we are. We're, we're those kind of people. And the only thing that's going to make us strong uh, is the Word of God. The Word of God's going to make us discerning and strong to be able to live the way God wants us to live. All right, so that brings me to the next one. Uh, the third uh, responsibility of elder is to guard the sheep, to guard them. Where I already read in Acts chapter Uh, 20, verse number 28, it says, be on guard, be on guard 
for yourselves and for all the flock. And then verse 29, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in, in among you, and men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away disciples. Therefore, verse 31, be on the alert. So it's the job of the elders, the shepherds, to teach the word of God so people can be guarded from false teaching. They can be on the alert. They could know when they turn the radio on or they go to the internet or they read this blog about somebody writing some Christian stuff. Can I read that thing? Can I read this book and know that this person is actually handling the word of God accurately so I don't get confused and so you don't start getting into false teaching by reading things that are actually not biblical at all. So to be able to know the Bible well enough to do that, to be able to pick up a book, a Christian book, and say, is this, what does this person believe doctrinally? What, what, is this person, you know, is, are, they, do they, are they reformed in their teaching by the way they write? Are they Armenian in their teaching by the way they write? Are they charismatic? Are they, you know, what do they believe on different things? As you're reading through a book, you can, you can determine what a person is actually believing and doing uh, because of the way they write. They'll, they'll be giving you indicators on what they hold to. So the elders are to guard the flock and to make, uh, to put them on, of course, a path where they're alert about what is going on uh, as they are interacting with knowledge and and different things that are called truth in the world. And then, of course, this leads to the next one, and it's this, that it's they have a caring responsibility. That is to provide, uh, the function of the elders is to provide really healing and restoration because we get into trouble and we need some guidance from the Word of God to be able to help our home and help our relationship with our our spouses and to and our neighbors and different people and we're to, we're to do these things and we're to uh, definitely uh, care for you by teaching the word of God like it says in Ezekiel another Old Testament passage of scripture it says this as as a shepherd cares for his herd in the day when he is among his scattered sheep so I will care for my sheep. And will deliver them from all the places to which they were scattered on a cloudy and a gloomy day. So those responsibilities are definitely part of what elders are to do. Now, that brings me to back to First Peter to our text because that leads me to the, the second bit of information that the Bible tells us. And this is about the character and the conduct of the shepherds of God's flock. God, God really gives us all the information that we need uh, in the word of God to say, okay, what kind of men ought to we, ought, should we be looking for to become the future elders of the church, all right? And those men should be aspiring, even now, while they're young in the Lord, to be desiring the office of an elder or to be a deacon within the congregation, or just to be a faithful, strong man of God in the church. And so the character and conduct of the shepherds of God's flock 
is really important to the Lord. And if you notice in verse number 2 of 1 Peter chapter 5, it says this. It says, shepherd the flock of God among you. And then it gives us actually three things. It says, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily according to the will of God. So in other words, this is telling us in this passage of Scripture, it is telling us the first thing is going to be that of the manner of the shepherd, the manner of the shepherd. And what is the manner of the shepherd? Well, he is not being forced to give oversight or under some kind of strength because no one else will do it. It is not simply a duty to the elder. It's something that God's called them to. So instead of, of instead he's really he, really, he really freely gives himself over to the task because it is God's will. And he has this sense that God has called him, qualified him, given him the desire to give oversight to the flock under his care. So, so that, that is the manner of the man, he's doing it voluntarily because this is God's will for him to do it. All right, second thing it says about it in verse number two, it says that he is to do it not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. Now, the eagerness is not necessarily the, not necessarily the opposite of uh, sordid gain, but the, so the shepherd's motive is not greed. It's not financial gain. Right? And we know today there's a lot of people out there that are in the ministry for financial gain, right? We see people on, on TV and, and that are promoted to these uh, places where they have these incredible mansions, they have these cars, they have, it's all about money. Uh, it's all about prestige and power. It's not just simply about uh, serving God, whatever, uh, the financial thing may be. Now, of course, the Bible, the Lord and the apostles are not against any but one be, being paid for ministry because they are to be paid if they're full-time. But it's, it's just not, it's not a greedy thing. Uh, and it's, you're not going to be, be rich in most ministry. Uh, it's just it's, it's what God's called us to. And so, therefore, it's not, we're not shepherding to get something out of it or like prestige or position to, and to use people to get money from them or wealth from them. That's not at all what a shepherd should be. In fact, right here, it, it says it very simply. They are not to do it for greediness or sordid gain, all right? Filthy lucre, as the old King James says. So, what drives him is his eagerness to faithfully serve as an under-shepherd, to use his God-given gifts, abilities, and opportunities to mature the flock with the intended purpose to multiply the joy and the health of the local church. So that, that, that is his inward motive. So in other words, the Bible is giving, giving us the, the whole man under the transformation of the Holy Spirit, that he is, he's got a manner about him. He wants to do it voluntarily. No one's forcing him to do it. He wants to do it with eagerness, all right? And whatever is a uh, financial uh, 
benefits are there to help them out to live in this world. He's happy with that. Uh, and so that's what his motive is, right? And that's what the motive of, of an elder should be. But that leads us to also the next one, and that's the, the attitude and behavior of the shepherd. Notice what it says in verse number three. Not yet as lording over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. So here's, this, here's the attitude of the elder that he is not he is not the Lord of the congregation, and you know you're at it. At you know you're his servants, and he's telling you what to do and ordering you around. That's not what it is about at all. He's not lording over you at all whatsoever, but he wants to provide an example to the flock. Actually, the word uh, example is, is a Greek word that we get the word tupos from, and it means to to make a an impression. Like if you took a hammer and hit it against a piece of wood, the head of that hammer would make an impression on that wood. Well, that's the word that Peter uses here, and he wants to use that because he's saying you shepherds ought to be a model or a pattern that people can follow. Even the Apostle Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. So in other words, the congregation has to be informed enough to know, are the elders following Christ? Now, it doesn't mean they're perfect. We're not perfect, but we're following Christ. With the gifts and abilities and opportunities God's given us, we're following Christ, and you know that. And when you know that, there's a certain comfort and rest that come to the sheep when the elders model uh, the Christian life in their home and, of course, in their interacting with you, and it, it's something that you can pattern your life after. I like to be like that particular person because they're following Christ, and as they follow Christ, I want to follow them, and I want to learn from them and be discipled from them. So that, that brings us to really there's two things, two twofold responsibility of the elder found in Scripture and it's this, it's that the elder is, number one, someone who has a ministry to the word of God. And, of course, these are the two primary responsibilities and prayer, that the elders are quite literally servants of the word. This is the central responsibility of the elder. It is absolutely central to the life and the growth of the church. Elders are to lead God's people by teaching the word of God, and this teaching must be the public handling of God's word, the private counsel of biblical principles, and the exemplary lifestyle that others may imitate. That all is included. And the second one is that of prayer. Elders also to be devoted, them, devote themselves to prayer, both for themselves and on behalf of the whole congregation. Prayer not only counts as elder work, but it is essential to elder work. We need the power of God in the things that we do. So in other words, wrapping that up, that in ministry, in the ministry of the word and prayer, elders graze the flock on the word, guard the flock from false teaching, and guide the flock on their homeward journey. Now, does that mean that being an elder is, uh, is just an easy thing? Hey, I have people say to me, 
you know what, if I can't, if I can't do this job, I'll just go into the ministry. Or I'll just, you know, I'll just go to Bible college and I'll become a minister. And I'd say to them, don't, don't do that. If you can do anything else besides this, do it. Because this is not an easy place to be. Uh, there's many responsibilities that you do have. And it's ongoing. And uh, it, is, it never ends. There are always things to do. There are always people's needs to meet. There, uh, there are always issues, and uh, I just recently talked to one uh, a person who used to come to our church who moved to Florida, and um, I used to say, you know, hope would hope that he would become an elder here. Of course, he moved, but he became an elder in the church he was at, right? And this is what he said to me just the other day. He says, you know what? When I became an elder, I found out all the problems. <laughs> you know, when you're sitting there, you don't necessarily have see the problems or know the problems, unless you've been a Christian for a long time, then you get a sense that things are, are, are difficult, right? People are difficult. You know, unraveling sin in someone's life, it's not going to happen in two counseling sessions. If you've been sinning for a long time or been in a bad habit, you're not going to unravel that. That's an ongoing practice of the Word of God and listening to it, putting, in, putting it in the principles uh, into a hab- habitual practice every day and overcoming those things by a faithful walk. So the question comes up, and here's the old-time question. This is always the question. And all elders, not only all Christians need to answer this question, but all elders definitely need to answer this question. And what's the question? The question is this. Is it worth it to serve Jesus? Is there anything in it for us? See, following Jesus Christ will always be accompanied by some level of personal sacrifice. Now, go back with me to Matthew for a minute. Go back back with me to Matthew, because you know what? Peter's writing the epistle of Peter. Well, remember Peter in the Gospels? Look at what he said to Jesus back in Matthew chapter 19. I want you to see it. So turn your Bibles there. Matthew chapter 19, verse 27. And notice what it says right there in verse number 27. Then Peter answered, Matthew 19, verse 27. Then Peter answered and said to him, Behold, we have left everything and followed you. Then look what he asks. What then will there be for us? Do you notice what he says there? Lord, we left everything. What's in it for us? You may ask yourself, well, that, that's a really a bad question. No, that's a good question. That's, that's a, a very human question. If I'm going to give up things to serve the Lord, if I am going to put away sin, that was pleasurable to me to serve the Lord? If I'm going to lose some family and some friends to serve the Lord? If possibly I'm never going to get promoted in my job because everybody knows I'm a believer to serve the Lord? The question is going to come up. Is it worth it? Is there anything in it for me? That's what Peter asks here in Matthew chapter 19. 
Well, look up to Matthew chapter 19, verse 29 and 30. Jesus answers Peter here with an affirmative answer, and he says this, and everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or farms for my sake will receive many times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. So there's going to be many surprises in heaven. The people that seem to have everything going for them on the earth, everybody who had, had every material need they had, had barely no problems, or not the problems that we could uh, imagine uh, compared to our own life, they're going to be very surprised. We're going to be very surprised that you know the people that are first now are going to be last, and the people that are last now are going to be first, right? That, of course, that that's God's call, but but still, He's answering all those who serve Christ, especially to those who would become an elder like Peter was. He was a fellow elder. He had to know, Lord. Is there anything in it for us? If we're going to give all this stuff up, if we're going to deny ourselves things to follow you, is there anything in it for us? And Jesus simply says, yes, there is. There is. Now, if you're right there in Mark, or if you're right there in Matthew, turn to Mark chapter 10, because the same subject comes up, and in Mark 10, Jesus also says to them, listen, you're going to have compensation for your sacrifice. In Mark chapter 10, verse 29, it says, Jesus said, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mothers or father or children or farms for my sake and for the gospel's sake. Notice the reason why you leave those things. It's for the sake of God, Christ himself, and for his message. Those are the reasons why you leave those things. But that he will receive in, ver- in the uh, verse number 30, and then it says, what will, will, what will he receive? Well, he will receive a uh, hundred times as much now in the present, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and farms. In other words, Jesus is saying, listen, you may lose some things, but you're going to gain way more that I'm going to give you. Because really, Christianity brings with it a far greater and a wider family in which we all have Christ in common. We as members of the family of God have far more spiritual family and spiritual family relationships than we ever had with our own earthly family. And so... He is saying to us, listen, you are going to have a greater community of family than you're going to lose. And then in verse number 30, he also tells us in Mark, along with persecutions. Well, you know what? Here is the paradox and the reality and the honesty of the call to a real disciple of Jesus Christ, that Jesus right up front never offered an easy road. He never says to us, it's going to be fine, well, and dandy. He tells us, you're going to have persecutions. That's the whole first Peter is about suffering and persecution, right? So right up front, he says, I never offer you an easy road. 
he, he really puts before those who will repent of their sin and believe in Jesus Christ that there will be a cost, some loss, some suffering, some uncomfortable easiness, some humbling of self, some killing of our passions and our desires and our personal goals for the sake of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the gospel. We give things up. And Jesus says in verse number 30 of Mark chapter 10, but there'll be future reward, and in this age, and the age to come, eternal life. There is an age to come. Matter of fact, in the Jewish mindset, the way they viewed time was this age and the age to come, right? In a sense, we're still in this age, but there is... From the cross onwards, the age to come is in play. So it's really an, a vast, unending season of existence. Eternal life is not a reward for forsaking our relations or inward affections or enduring other difficulties for Christ's sake. Eternal life is always and only out of the mercy and the pure grace of God. The reward is is certain during our earthly lives and will be fully paid out in the life to come. That's what Jesus is saying to us. Yes, future reward in the yet future messianic age will when the fullness of the kingdom of God is realized and then the new heaven and the new earth will where it will be fully realized. So again, if I were to say to you, listen, it, it, is, it, is it worth it to serve Christ? The answer must be, for those who love Christ, yes. No matter what I have to lose, no matter what sufferings I might go, might go through, no matter what promotions are going to be passed over, no matter what my situation in life, it is worth it to serve Christ, Right? Because Christ does say to us, there is something in the future that is there that I promise that you will have. You don't see it all, but I'm telling you because you can believe me and you can trust my word that it is there. And so look at what he he says, and here's the last bit of information he tells the elders of the church. The crown and reward of the faithful shepherd of God's flock if back to 1 Peter chapter 5, notice verse number 4. And it says this. So this is, this is it right here. This is what he tells them. And he just says it in just one sentence. It's, it's amazing how the word of God is, is so uh, direct and to the point where the faithful shepherds know that they are accountable to the chief shepherd, which is Jesus Christ, and they know There is an end that is coming. The chief shepherd encourages his under-shepherds with a shepherd's crown. Notice in our passage what it says. It says, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. That's what he promises to all faithful elders of the church. Now, of course, there's, there's several other crowns that are given in Scripture. I, I covered them in other messages, but this one is, is direct. 
So he is saying to the elders, yes, it's worth it to be an elder, to serve faithfully. It's worth it because I'm going to recognize you when I appear as the chief shepherd and say to the world, these are my faithful under-shepherds, and I'm going to give them an unfading crown of glory, something that cannot wither away. So brethren, if you will faithfully follow after Christ and serve him anywhere and everywhere, making no choice about the way, whether it shall be rough or smooth, and you continue till the end, then the Father will delight to honor you. The Father will say, make room for him, you cherubim and seraphim, you angels who minister around my throne. Stand back, all you hosts of heaven. Here comes the person. He was poor and afflicted while serving my son. He ran the race diligently while following my son. He was with my son. He was ridiculed with and for my son. He endured persecution with and for my son. He loved and served him till the end. And that's not only for shepherds, that's for all faithful believers. He was with my son, and he became like my son. The father will say, come, come here, man. Take your crown. Sit with my son, the father will say, in his glory. For you were with my son in his shame. Now you will be with him in his honor and his exaltation. So yes, it is worth it to live and to serve Jesus and his flock, which he purchased with his own blood. It is worth it to serve him. And the last passage would be this, John chapter 12, verse 26. If anyone serves me, Let him follow me, and where I am, there shall my servant also be. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. That's the word of truth. Now, I'm not going to get into into it this morning, but if you notice the last part of verse number 5, or the first part of verse number 5, it says, you young men, likewise, be subject to your elders. Now, I'm not going to deal with that this morning, but you say, well, why it started with Peter being the, the one who is the fellow elder, the mature elder, the older elder, right? And then it ends with you younger guys who are going to possibly aspire to be elders, make sure you're, you're submissive and you're not proud. And well, why, do you, why do you think that it says that in this epistle like that? Because usually during times of suffering and persecution, what do young men want to do? They want to fight their way out of it, right? And not submit. Peter is saying to them, no, learn how to submit to your fellow elders and to the word of God and to your Lord and let God take care of things you cannot so the will of God can be done. And we're going to look at that next time. So it's the congregation's job. I just gave my responsibility. It's your job, according to Scripture, to submit 
and work with the Lord and his elders and shepherds to build the church. That's your job. And the reason why is it is well for us to recognize that the Bible prevents or presents authority and leadership in the church as good things and even necessary things. And, of course, that passage of Scripture that is is so uh, important in Scripture from Hebrews that it, where it says to us that obey your leaders and submit to them for they watch over our souls as those who will give an account. Let them do it with joy and not with grief or that would be unprofitable for you. That's your job is to submit. Let's pray. Lord, again, as I think about your word, as I think about this passage, Lord, this is not necessarily, Lord, a passage that uh, we probably would uh, read over and just keep going, but it's something you want us to know. And I just pray, Lord, that you would make our congregation instructed in the whole counsel of God especially, Lord, that of church eldership and leadership. And I do pray, Lord, that you would raise up young men that would be the future deacons and the future elders of this church. Lord, you have been doing that since 1855. There has been always a gospel witness in this church, in this place. And so I pray that you would continue that until the day you come. And so we, this morning, O oh Lord, we want, to, we want to submit to your authority over us as the chief shepherd. We thank you, Lord, for your, your patience with us as the shepherd. Thank you, Lord, for leading us and giving us the word of God. Thank you, Lord, for rescuing us and, and guarding us uh, by the truth and by your spirit. And I pray, Lord, this morning that you would just continually bring to our mind uh, the things that please you, and even in things like how to order, order the church and how the church should function. And I pray that we would be aware of it, we would be discerning in that, and I pray, Lord, the congregation would submit to those who are in authority and, and those who are in authority would, would follow this example in Scripture on how they should be. And I pray you would bring it all together, Lord, so all the glory and honor would be brought to your name and that someday, Lord, in the future, when you come again, we'll be honored by the Father as the people of God and as the under-shepherds. Thank you, Lord, for that great promise, and I pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand together. Let's sing our last song, Friend of Sinners.